thanks, Lord. We'd be foolish not to give you thanks right now for the answered prayer this week. Many of our folks have been sick, and, and surges have taken place. And, Lord, you've answered those prayers. And, God, we just want to say thank you for your goodness, your love, your mercy, and just answering prayer. And, Father, we need a touch from another world tonight. I pray that you'd touch this feeble preacher. Lord, I confess that I'm nothing. Lord, you are everything. I pray that you'd meet every need. If there's one listing lost, God, may tonight be the night of salvation. But, God, help the child of God, Lord, to grow a little closer to you. And we'll be careful to give you thanks and praise for all that you do at the end of the day. For we ask all these things in Jesus' name, all God's people see you. Amen. Well, we've read this text out of 2 Samuel chapter number 5, and I will. I'm going to be moving like lightning by way of the introduction because I'm going to be turning back to a couple passages just to read a little bit. We've been looking at the life of David. David is probably the most well-known king in all of Israel. Uh, if you were to go over to the Jews today and ask them who was the who was the uh, the greatest king, they would say David. And of course, Jesus came through the lineage of David. But as far as uh, the kingdom is concerned, David is probably the most well-known. Of course, you could talk about Solomon, different ones. Solomon built the temple, but David, his father, is the one that financed the thing. But tonight, as we look at this, we've looked at David's adolescent years where he was watching. As a shepherd, he was warring. As a soldier, he was waiting on the sovereign Lord and, and the plan of God to, to, to unfold. And, and I've said this, and it's worth hitting again because Brian really does need this. There's times when it may appear that God is inactive, but I just want to tell you that God is never inactive. But sometimes we perceive that God is inactive, and sometimes we'll want to rush ahead and do our own thing because of our impatience, and we always get in trouble. David had to wait about 15 years from his first anointing until he was made king over all of Israel. So he learned some things about waiting. And sometimes God takes his time in preparing leaders and leadership. And that's what he did with David during his adolescent years as he was watching as a shepherd, warring as a soldier, and waiting on the sovereign Lord. And then we jumped up over into the adult years. When we think about David and his adult years, a lot of that is defined by his running from Saul. Seemed like Saul was after him from every angle. But he also spent a vast majority of his adult life ruling with a scepter, ruling seven and a half years according to the Word of God there in Hebron, and then 33 and a half years, we, or, or we get that, that where he reigned over uh, Jerusalem, in Jerusalem. And as we look at this tonight, we're going to be looking at a few things about Hebron. Now, notice our text here in chapter number 5 of Second Samuel. He's talking about Hebron. And Hebron's mentioned, I don't know, three or four times in these five verses that we've read. And when you look at this, Hebron had a rich History. Now, by way of introduction, I think it's worth noting because I went back and, and some things began to reflect in my mind as I remember in time past studying through the Scripture, and Hebron kept coming up. There's some interesting facts about Hebron. The first time you'll find it mentioned, if you'll remember after the separation of Lot and Abraham, and he was called Abram then, in Genesis chapter number 13, we know that Abraham built an altar. You know where he built it? He built it in a place called Hebron the first time. It's mentioned Genesis 13 and verse 18. Then Abram removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. It seemed like everywhere Abraham went, he built an altar. But he didn't build one down in Egypt, and he got 
in trouble, by the way. And there's a good principle for you and I uh, tonight as we look at that. That altar symbolizes us communicating with God. Boy, you better stay, you better stay on top of your prayer life. Yeah, it's important to get in the Word of God to, so God can speak to you. But you better be speaking to Him through prayer. And that altar certainly uh, symbolizes communion with God. Hey, this preacher's a needy preacher, Brother Howard. Every one of us in here from the least to the greatest, all of us are a needy people. And we need help from another world. There's things down here the politicians ain't going to help. The doctors can't help. The bankers can't help. But I'm glad there's a great physician. I'm glad there's a king of kings and the Lord of lords that can help us. And it's our responsibility to communicate to him. But Abraham built an altar in this place called Hebron. Also, we know this, that Sarah and Abraham both were buried in Hebron. You say, well, how do you know Sarah died at 127 years old? And the Bible said in Genesis 23 and verse 19, And after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah before Mamre, the same as Hebron in the land of Canaan. Then in Genesis 25 and verse 10, The field which Abraham purchased of the sons of Heth, there was Abraham buried, and Sarah, his wife. You can read on a little bit further in the book of Genesis, chapter number 49 and verse number 31. You'll see that Isaac, Rebekah, and Leah were all buried there in Hebron. You go on a little bit further, Genesis 50 and verse number 13. We know that Jacob was buried there. So when you think about Hebron, it's got a rich history. First mentioned when Abraham, after he was separated from Lot, he, he went to Hebron and he built an altar unto the Lord. Then we see where Abraham and, and Sarah and Isaac and, and Rebekah and Leah and Jacob were all buried in Hebron. You know this. As the children of Israel came in, they crossed into the Canaan land, and Joshua was divvying out the land, and, and tribes were getting this, that, and the other. If you remember, there was a man by the name of Caleb, uh, the son of Jephunneh. We understand that he asked for a mountain there in the Word of God. In Joshua chapter 14, uh, chapter 14 and verse 14, the Bible said, Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite unto this day, because that he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. And there are several things we can say about that. If you go back to Joshua 14 and verse number 12, Caleb said this, Give me this mountain. Now he was talking about Hebron. And because that he wholly followed the Lord God of heaven, God granted him to have that inheritance in the land of Hebron. Boy, there's an important part there. He wholly followed the Lord God of heaven. Hey, sin will take you down an old broken road. It's a crooked road, man, that'll lead you. I'm talking about into some devastating places. But if you'll get on, if you'll get hooked up early, uh, even midlife, even at old, if you're alive and you're listening to me, there's still hope for you, friend. If you'll get plugged up under the Lord Jesus Christ and just sell out, quit dabbling around, quit straddling the fence. If you'll just Yoke up with Jesus and wholly give your heart unto the Lord. There's some Hebrews on the horizon. Bible said we have not because we ask not. You look it up, James 4, verse number 2. That's what it said. Caleb said, give me this mountain. Hebron was the inheritance of Caleb. So Abraham built an altar there in Hebron after him and Lot had separated. We know Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Rebekah, Leah, and Jacob all were buried in Hebron. We know that Caleb, it was his inheritance as he went in to uh, the promised land. And notice this, we under, there are six cities of refuge that you'll find in your Bible in Joshua chapter number 20. Well, Hebron, 
Uh, one of the cities was located, one of the six, and it was the third one, by the way, that was mentioned in Scripture, is located in Hebron. For the Bible said, Joshua 20 and verse number 7, And Kerjath Arba, which is Hebron in the mountain of God, was referred to as one of the refuge cities. That's where folks could go in if they'd committed a certain crime and don't have time to get into all that. But they could run to one of those cities of refuge and they would find refuge for their soul. The other five, and of course, uh, Kerjath Arba, which is Hebron, was the third one that was mentioned there in Joshua 20. But you'll also see Kadesh and Shechem, Kerjath Arba, which is Hebron, Bezer, Ramoth, and Golan were the six cities of refuge, but Hebron was right smack dab in the middle of it all. Now we know according to the Word of God, we just read something interesting about Hebron right here in this text, but you may flip back just a little bit, and you don't have to, but in 2 Samuel chapter number 2 and verse number 4, the Bible said this, 2 Samuel 2 and verse 4, And the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah, and they told David, saying that the men of Jabesh Gilead were they that buried Saul. Where was David located in the second Samuel chapter 2? He was in Hebron. And Judah came up and anointed him king over Israel. Remember, there's three anointings of David. First Samuel 16, verse 13, he was anointed in the house of his father David. As a teenage boy, God chose him to lead his people, the Israelites, as a king. Now Saul was in charge at that particular time, but his kingdom had been rent, according to 1 Samuel 15, because of his partial obedience. And can I say again, it's worth hitting our partial obedience is the same as disobedience. God don't want us to do half. When he asks us to do something, he expects us to do it in its entirety. Anything short of that is what we call S-I-N, sin. That is a transgression of the law. Who gives the law? Not the preacher, not the prophet. But thank God the Lord is the one that gave the law. And he holds men and women accountable how they respond either by obedience or or rebellion under his word. Well, the kingdom had been rent, and God anointed David in his father Jesse's house, 1 Samuel 16, 30. The second anointing we just read, 2 Samuel chapter 2 and verse number 4, but then flip back over to our text tonight, 2 Samuel chapter 5, and notice what the Bible said in verse number 1. Then came all the tribes of Israel to David, Unto Hebron. Now keep in mind, David has been, according to the word of God, there in verse number 5, in Hebron he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem he reigned thirty and three years over all Israel. And Judah at this time, he's been ruling the southern tribe. Now there were twelve tribes of Israel. Because what David inherited, he inherited a mess. He inherited a divided kingdom. To the north, there were 11 tribes that, were, that, that, that basically pledged their allegiance unto the house of Saul and Ishbosheth, which was the son of Saul, after Saul had died. Now, the southern tribe pledged their allegiance unto David. So you got 11 tribes to the north. you got one tribe to the south of Judah. And they've already anointed David king of Israel. But now the 11 have come to reunite the kingdom. For seven and a half years, David has ruled in Hebron. And boy, the 11 tribes up to the north, they, they've suffered loss after loss after loss under the hand of Saul and then his son Ishbosheth. And you think about this uh, tonight, there's a good summary of how it all went. 
2 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 1 said this. Now there was long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. But David waxed stronger and stronger. And the house of Saul waxed weaker and weaker. Now somebody might say, now why is that the case? Remember, you'll see in chapter 16 of 1 Samuel, the Spirit of the Lord came off of Saul. But it jumped on David. That's why David was waxing stronger and stronger and stronger. And the house of Saul was weaker and weaker and weaker because David was a man after God's own heart. And God had chosen him to be the king over Israel. And that's a pretty good summary there. 2 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 1. The house of David waxed stronger and stronger and the house of Saul weaker and weaker. Well, here we find it coming to pass in our text tonight, 2 Samuel chapter number 5, where all 12 tribes... Pledge their allegiance unto King David. There's a reuniting, if you will, of his leadership. And that gets back to the outline that I gave you a shotgun outline a few weeks ago. We've talked about those adolescent years, watching as a shepherd, warring as a soldier, waiting on the sovereign Lord. Then his adult years, he's running from Saul, but now he's ruling with a scepter as king of Israel. It's coming to fruition right here in our text in 2 Samuel chapter number 5. But how, how do we get to this point? Where did all this start from? Well, keep in mind there's three things I'm going to give you. And don't forget what I told you a minute ago. When I get to the end, I got one question. I'm going, maybe two, and we're going to the house. But there's three things. Where, where did all this start? Where did it all come from? And when you think about this, there's three things that they all start with Q. There was quarreling. What do you mean quarreling? Well, listen, God had chosen his people Israel. He was the one that led them. He he brought them out of bondage, out of Egyptian bondage. He met every need that they had, even in the wilderness. Their shoes didn't wear out. He provided food. He gave them water. He sustained their every need for 40 years, and yet they continued to rebuke or, or rebel against the God of heaven that had redeemed them, that had rescued them, that had saved them. And then finally they got to the point where they become conformed to the world and the society around them. That sounds sort of similar to our day, by the way. There's some application you could preach there. But they became conformed. What they were doing, God was leading them. And they saw all these other nations, how they were led by kings, Brother Harold. So they said, you know, we want to be like other nations. We, we want to be like the, the Hittites. We want to be like the Jebusites. We want to be like uh, the Canaanites. All the, they've got a king, the Egyptians. And that's how we got to this point. There was some quarreling that was going on. I'm going to take you back to this text. It's worth, I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to take God's word for it. First Samuel chapter 8 and verse 1 said this, And it came to pass, when Samuel was old, that he made his sons judges over Israel. Now the name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second, Abiah. They were judges in Beersheba, and his sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after lucre, and took bribes and perverted judgment. In other words, here they are. Samuel was a man that God used mightily, but his sons come on the scene. Samuel wouldn't take a bribe, but his boys would. In other words, give me some money, and, and, and I'll whatever you want me to do, that's what I'll do. That's what they were doing. Because they love that filthy looker. They took bribes and perverted judgment. Look at verse 4 of 1 Samuel 8. Then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel under Ramah. 
And that was his hometown, by the way. And said unto him, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Thou makest a king to judge us like all the nations. There was quarreling going on. God had said, hey, man, I'm enough. But just asking that unto Samuel, uh, basically was saying, God, you're not enough. We want to be like all these other heathen, wicked, ungodly, and perverse nations. We want to be like them. We want a king to reign over us. So they asked Samuel. And the Bible said in verse 6 of 1 Samuel 8, But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people and all that they say unto thee. For they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. God said, Don't worry about it, Samuel. You give them basically and you read on. God said, All right, I'm going to give you what you want. One of the greatest judgments, I've said this and I've preached it many times, it's a fact. Sometimes the greatest judgment God will give us is when God gives us what we want. <laughs> Amen. One of God's greatest judgments is I want, I want. You, and you got to be careful not to be conformed to this world because it's got its influence, by the way. You go to Romans chapter number 12, it's pretty clear in verse number 2. Be not conformed, don't be the same as, don't be the blueprint copy. Be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God warns us not to be conformed to the world. Why? It'll pull us away. You think about this, that, that's what's happened here to the nation of Israel. For a long time, God had been enough, but now they've become conformed to the ways of the world, and now they're not interested in heavenly things. They're, they're interested in worldly and earthly and sensual and fleshly things. And God gave them what they wanted. God took Saul. If you'll remember when God chose Saul, he was hiding among the stuff. That's what the Bible said. He was hiding among the stuff. But old David, when he was chosen, you know what he is doing? He is out there watching and tending over the sheep. But God chose Saul, and God had told him. You can read on First Samuel chapter number 8. Time. I was going to read it all, but I'm not going to. There's only 22 verses. You go back and you look. God promised them some things, and boy, it came to pass. In Hosea chapter 13, verse number 11, God said, I gave thee a king in mine anger and took him away in my wrath. What was God talking about there in Hosea 13 and 11? He was talking about God give them Saul because they basically said, God, you're not enough. We want to be like these other nations. So how did we get to this point of David becoming king? Well, you got to start back there with Saul. The reason they wanted a king was they were saying, God, you're not enough. We're conformed to the world. We want to be like the Egyptians. We want to be like these godless societies, all, all these countries. We want to be like they've got a king, and that's what we want. And God, in judgment, gave them exactly what they wanted. There's an interesting principle about government, by the way, as you read 1 Samuel. Think about that. 1 Samuel 8, and I'm going to hit this, and I'm moving on. A government that's big enough to give you everything you want is big enough to take everything you got. <laughs> Don't forget that. A government that is big enough to give you everything you want is <laughs> big enough to take everything you got. And God said, hey, they wanted to be like the other nations. God said, hey, he's going he's to strap all these things on. Hey, the tenth belongs unto the Lord, but he's going to ask for another tenth. Well, that sounds like government to me, don't you? Hey, Amen. I better move on. But they was quarreling. 
quarreling going on. Not only was there quarreling, but there were qualifications. God, before this ever come up, God had all, and see, God is a God of order. And he knew in his foreknowledge that they were going to want another. They, were, they wanted a king. They were going to be conformed to the world. So God laid out some qualifications for those that would serve as king. Well, where do you find that preacher? Well, back in Deuteronomy 17 and verse number 14. This is what the Word of God said. When thou, Deuteronomy 17, 14. When thou art come unto the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, and shalt possess it, and shalt dwell therein, and shalt say, I will set a king over me like as all the nations that are about me. See, God prophesied that it was going to happen even before it happened. He said, when you get in that land, you're going to request to have a king. And although it angered God, God laid out some qualifications in verse 15. Thou shalt in any wise set him king over thee, whom the Lord thy God shall choose. One from among thy brethren shalt thou set king over thee. Thou mayest not set a stranger over thee, which is not thy brother, but he shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt, to the end that he should multiply horses. For as much as the Lord has said unto you, ye shall henceforth return no more that way. Neither shall he multiply wives to himself. Well, Solomon didn't pay any attention to that, did he? None of the kings did. That his heart turned not away. Neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. God said don't multiply horses. Don't multiply wives. Don't multiply gold and silver. That's some of the qualifications he gave for the king. The Bible said in verse 18, and here I think the most important one. This shall be when he sitteth upon the throne of his kingdom that he shall write him a copy of this law. What law? What he just has told them. That you're not to multiply horses. You're not to multiply wives. You're not to multiply gold and silver. You've got to be chosen of God. This law is to be copied according to the word of God. In verse 18. That he shall write him a copy of this law in a book out of that which is before the priests the Levites. And it shall be with him. And he shall read therein all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord is God to keep all the words of this law and these statutes to do them, that his heart be not lifted up above his brethren. Well, how would his heart be lifted up above his brethren? <laughs> He's got a vast majority of horses, vast majority of wives, vast majority of gold and silver. The, certainly the temptation would be there for your heart to be lifted up. Hey, I'm better than you. God said, that's why you keep that copy of the law, that his heart be not lifted up above his brethren, and that he turn not aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, to the end that he may prolong his days in, the king, in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. So God laid out these qualifications. Number one, they had to be, the king had to be chosen of God. God chose Saul, and he was man's choice. But then God chose David, a man, after God's own heart. In the book of Psalms, I just preached on this the other night. I won't belabor the point, but I'm going to read it again. Psalm 78, in verse number 70, the Bible said, He, and that he is a personal pronoun that is talking about God himself. He chose David, also his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds, from following the ewes, great with young. He brought him to feed Jacob his people, and Israel his inheritance. So he fed them according to the integrity of his heart. And guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. Remember, he used that sling and he used that sword. 
And he used that scepter as he began to rule. And that's what he's doing here in 2 Samuel chapter number 5. But the Bible said there in Psalm 78 and verse number 70 that God chose him. So when it comes to the qualifications, it had to be chosen of God. They had to be an Israelite. You couldn't just appoint a stranger, somebody from another nation, to be king. God said, got to be chosen of me, got to be an Israelite. No multiplying of horses, no multiplying of wives or wealth. And you got to keep a copy of the law that he just gave there in Deuteronomy 17 amongst them at all times. Now, we see the quarreling. What led to them even wanting a king? They was basically saying, God, you're not enough. We're conformed to the world. We want to be like the world. So they asked for a king, and God in his judgment gave them exactly what they asked for. Now there's the, the qualifications for a king that was laid out of Deuteronomy 17. David met them to a T. Now, did he fall short? Sure he did, but I'm going to show you something here in a minute. Because God, gave, God basically gave a, well, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. Saul was a Benjamite, keep in mind. Saul was a Benjamite, that little small tribe. David was a Bethlehemite from the tribe of Judah. Now, if you go back into the Old Testament, and you know, I know there's a lot of teaching points here, and it's really, I'm trying to move as fast as I can. I know it's hard to take all this in, but in Genesis 49, Jacob, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs that God had set forth. It came through that lineage. When he began to, was dying, Jacob that is, he began to bless his sons. And one of those sons was by the name of Judah. And listen to what Jacob said unto Judah. Because it's important, Saul was a Benjamite. He came through the tribe of Benjamin. But David come through the tribe of Judah. Well, what's the difference? Part of that was part of God's plan. But in Genesis 49 and verse 10, as Jacob is blessing his son, this is what he said to Judah. Genesis 49, 10, the scepter. What is the scepter? That's what the king would possess that golden scepter that he would hold up. He said, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Now, Jacob was blessing his sons, and that's a mouthful. But basically what God was saying in that passage is that the kingly lineage would come through, not the tribe of Benjamin, not Issachar, not Zebulon, not Reuben, not all the other tribes, not Manasseh, none of those. It was going to come through the tribe of Judah. Why is that important? You go back and you look at Matthew and Luke's account. Jesus came through, not the line of Saul. He didn't come from the tribe of Benjamin. He didn't come from the tribe of Reuben. He came from the tribe of Judah. Revelation puts it this way in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 5. He's called the root of David. That's what Jesus is called, the root of David. Why? He came through that lineage. And he's called the lion of the tribe of Judah. Why is he called a lion? Because a scepter shall never depart from his house. It was prophesied before that Judah would have the, that kingly lion. Now that's shallow. What's he talking about there in Genesis 49? Verse 10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. He wasn't talking about David there. That was a foreshadowing and a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is, what is Shiloh? What does that mean? Shiloh literally means one who brings peace. Listen, I know the Bible said we're to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. 
But there'll never be peace down here until the Prince of Peace returns. And oh, by the way, friend, he still ain't changed his mind. He's still going to come in an hour in which we think not. We better make sure we get that. You say, preacher, I don't understand prophecy. I don't understand a whole lot in the Bible. Well, you better know this. If you close your eyes in death and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, there's a real hell just as sure as I'm standing on this platform in 2216 Hennings Road in East Bend, North Carolina, whatever day this is in July 2023, there's a real hell and that's where you're going apart from the Lord Jesus Christ but I'm glad thank God that you can be forgiven not a part of your sin or some of your sin but of all of your sin whether you're young or whether you're old for the Bible still said in Romans chapter 10 and verse number 13 for whosoever put your name right there for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved that's the good news of the gospel but that reference to that scripture is to Jesus so there's quarreling now I'm just about done there's quarreling there's qualifications, but there's a quarterback. There's a quarterback. You say, what are you talking about, a quarterback? Well, God had a quarterback. Who was the quarterback? Well, it was David. David met those qualifications. Because the quarrelsome, they had a king, and God judged them and gave them exactly what they wanted. They, they got it. That was a judgment from God. Qualifications was laid out. God said, all right, I've chosen one, a man after my own heart. That was David. We see this coming to pass. And here's the quarterback. Now, listen, in, in, in the sport of football, uh, you might have two running backs. Perfect. You might have two tight ends. You might have two. Go- I mean, you might have two wide outs or wide receivers. <laughs> you ain't going to have two quarterbacks. Oh, and a preacher, and I know this situation where there's two quarterbacks in the, in the backfield. Yeah, but only one of them gets the ball. <laughs> you with me? There was a quarterback that God had used here, and it was David. Now, we think about this. David had led Israel from victory to victory in his years that he served. Now, here's what people do, and if you're not careful... The sin of bad that he committed with Bathsheba, we get that he made a mistake. He sure did. And I, I still believe over there where, he, where he, uh, the Satan stood up to, to tempt him to number Israel, and he did, and some 70,000 men of Israel died. He made some mistakes, and here was a man after God's own heart and still fell into sin, but God loved him enough, and he, he had committed that sin about a year had passed. Brother Howard, he thought he had it covered up. But God loved him enough that he sent a man of God by the name of Nathan to him in 2 Samuel chapter number 12, and he said, Thou art the man. God confronted him in his sin, and David was sorry for his sin, and he was forgiven. Now, he was the quarterback, David was, that God was using the quarrel. Led them to getting a king in the first place, and God judged them, gave them exactly what they wanted. God had already laid out qualifications, one chosen of God. Got to be an Israelite. David fit all them. But he said, hey, don't, don't, you don't need to multiply horses and wives and, and gold and silver. And listen, David had multiple wives. But get this. Where I'm going is to this text right here, and I'm done with this. There's a passage over there, and it was in reference to uh, the context is of Ahijah, A-H-I-J-A-H. And in 1 Kings chapter 15, this is what God said. Now, he's talking about Ahijah. And he said, boy, he, you know, he didn't follow in the ways of David. He, he didn't follow in because David had a heart that honored God, basically. Ahijah did not. But listen to what God said about David. Now, get this. 1 Kings 15 in verse number 5. Now, we know about the sin of, of David and Bathsheba. We know he numbered Israel. We, and sure did he make some mistakes along the way. I'm sure he did. But this was God's 
testimony concerning his quarterback, David. 1 Kings 15, 5. Because David did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord, and turned not aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, save only, only in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. Now, did you get that? The definition of David's life is summed up by God in 1 Kings 15 and verse number 5. And it says, hey, he didn't turn aside from all that I could, except in one instance concerning Uriah the Hittite. That was God's testimony of David. That's how God defined David. He said, you know, basically if we put it down in Yagan County English... God wasn't disappointed in David except for that one time with Uriah the Hittite. Now, Sister Savannah's coming. I'm going to ask you this question. How would the Lord define me? How would the Lord define you? <laughs> I, I dare say there's a whole lot more than one on my end. Amen whole lot more than one incident on my end. Sure, I, I desire and I strive to serve the Lord and follow the Lord, but, man, there's been a lot of potholes along the way. There's been a lot of times where I, and I'm, not, I'm not boasting that in my sin, but there's times where I've turned to the side, Brother Harold. But it didn't have to be that way. It don't have to be that way with you either, by the way. You know what? Here's the thing. I can't go back and change a thing ten minutes ago. If I made a mistake, I could say I'm sorry. But there's things, if we could go back, all of us would change them. But here's the reality. We can't change anything in the back. Can we get forgiveness? Absolutely we can. But here's the point. We can't change anything in the back, but from this point forward as we move forward, we can live a life that honors God. And it's up to me personally. It's up to you personally. But David was defined as one that basically followed. Think about Caleb. He wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. That's what the Bible said, John 14, or Joshua 14, 14. Let's be like Caleb. Let's be like David. Man after God's own heart. You say, oh, I couldn't ever be like a supernatural David. I couldn't ever be like Elijah. Are you kidding? We made out of the same stuff they were. Same stuff. But they were committed. Oh, Lord, we, we, can, we could preach numerous messages about David and his life. But that question hit me. When I read 1 Kings 15, I'll read it one more time. Right here it is. This, 1 Kings 15, 5. Because this was God defining David. Because David did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. And turned not aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life. Save only in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. One of these days... I'm going to preach my last message. One of these days, I'm going to leave the house for the last time. One of these days, I'm going to have a last breakfast or a lunch. or so. I'm going to drink my last sweet tea. There'll come a day when that's going to come. Amen. By the way, it's, coming, it's knocking on your door too. I don't know when it's going to be. And when the smoke settles and the dust clears, the only thing that's really going to matter is what have we done for the Lord Jesus Christ? Number one, do you know him? If you don't know him, I'm glad you can get saved on a Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Tonight is Wednesday. You can get saved on a Wednesday night. 
But if you're here tonight and you just need some help and you're not as close as you need to be or you should be, maybe you've got those potholes like me, but, man, you just want to commit, Lord, from this day forward, by the grace of God, help me to be what you want me to be. Because one day, one day, we'll stand in His presence. Don't give me no excuse. Well, I would or I could or I should. They won't be any excuses on it. We make a lot of excuses down here, right? Why we don't serve God, why we don't live for God. But that day we stand before the King of kings and the Lord of lords, all those excuses will be gone. I want to be committed. I want you to be committed as David was tonight as we stand all over the house. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Let's pray. Father, I love you, Lord. I thank you for the opportunity and privilege, Lord, to expand upon the Scripture tonight. Lord, I pray that you'd take your word, and I pray it'd fall on good fertile soil. Lord, you sure did challenge me, and you sure did help me. Lord, I pray that you'd help us. Lord, to stay laser-focused. Lord, we get so caught up in the world trying to be conformed like them. Help us not to do that. Lord, help us to be a people. Lord, it honors you. And to have the testimony that David had, although he made mistakes just like we do, Lord, you define him in a positive way. God, help us to serve you in a greater way. Lord, you've called us to be salt, called us to be light. You've called us to make a positive influence on society. God, help us to be faithful. Help me personally. Help every person here. Lord, save the lost tonight. Meet every need. We'll be careful to give you thanks and praise for all you do. For we ask it all in Jesus' name. Hello, friends. This is Brian Pondexter, the pastor of Faith Community Baptist Church, located at 2216 Hennings Road in East Bend, North Carolina. We're so grateful to have you listening to our CD ministry that's been provided as an outreach of our church. It's our desire and focus at Faith Community Baptist Church to preach and teach the whole counsel of God to a lost and dying world, to equip the saints of God for service, and to encourage the elderly and shut-ins who cannot attend services due to physical ailments. We meet every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Sunday school for all ages, and our Sunday school hour is followed by our worship service at 11 a.m. with old-fashioned singing and preaching from the Word of God. We meet back every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our worship service, and every second Sunday night of each month, we have what's called an eat and meet service. After our 6 p.m. service, we gather in the fellowship hall for food and fellowship. On Wednesdays, we meet back at the church for our midweek worship service with choir singing and preaching again from God's holy word. Our ladies prepare a meal each Wednesday prior to our service from 5.30 p.m. to 6.30 p.m. I give you and your family a cordial invitation to be with us at any or all of our service times. Above all, you may be listening today, and maybe you've never made a personal commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, that's the greatest decision anyone can ever make in this life. Too many folks prepare for vacation. They prepare for retirement. They seem to prepare for everything, but sad to say, many make no preparations for eternity. The reality is very clear. We all will leave this world someday. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27, and as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. You must understand that you are guilty before a holy God. Romans 3.23 said, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The prophet Isaiah said in chapter 53 and verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. You must understand that your good words, good works and good deeds will not get you to heaven. Isaiah 64 and verse 6 says, But we are all as an unclean thing. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. 
Ephesians chapter 2. The Bible said, Therefore by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. You must understand that you're loved. I'm thankful that in John 3 and verse 16, it said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 5 and verse 8 declares, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You must understand and realize there's only one way to stand right before God. There's not many ways, there's only one. Jesus said in John 14 and verse number 6, He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, the apostles' message was very simple. There in Acts chapter 4, in verse number 12, they said, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. You might ask the question, Preacher, how can I be saved? That's what the Philippian jailer asked in Acts chapter 16, verse 30 and 31. He asked Paul and Silas, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Romans 10, 9 said that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You must ask God to save you. I can't do it. No one can do it for you. Romans 10, 13 said, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you know you're a sinner, and if you're sorry for your sin, and you believe Jesus died for your sins, you simply have to ask him to save you. And I say, Preacher, how can I know for sure God will hear me? But first of all, the Bible tells us that we must be drawn. John 6 and verse 44, Jesus said, No man can come to me except the Father which had sent me. Draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Psalm 51 and verse 17 gives us the attitude we need to have when we come to God. It said there, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. If God draws you by conviction, if you're sorry for your sin, you repent of them, if you believe Jesus died for your sins, and if you asked him to save you, then the Bible declares you've been saved. If you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you've been forgiven of all your sin. Romans 8, 1 declares, There is therefore now no condemnation of them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Once a person has been saved, they need to be a part of a fundamental Bible-believing church where they can grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. God calls us out of darkness and commands us to walk in light after we've been saved by His marvelous grace. If we can help you here at Faith Community Baptist Church in any way, feel free to contact us. If you have asked God to save you, please contact us, and we will send you some free literature to help you in your newfound life in Christ. Thank you again for listening to our CD ministry that's been provided by our church here, and may God richly bless you and your family is our prayer.